Blog Talk Radio. your host, Gail Sylvia, and joining me today is an incredible, um, incredible lady. Her name is Julia Cameron. She's had a remarkable and continues to have a remarkable, remarkable career, which in turn has given her remarkable ability to help others. She herself is an award-winning poet. She's a playwright, a filmmaker, and has written more than 30 books ranging from, you know, the widely praised hard-hitting crime novel, The Dark Room, to volumes of children's poetry, children's poetry and prayers. Um, one of her best-selling books, selling more than two million copies worldwide, was The Artist's Way. Along with that was the follow-up book called The Vein of Gold, Walking in This World, and then The Right to Write. Um, all of these have been flagship books which are taught in universities, churches, and Human Potential Centers around the world. Um, Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, t- tell us about Julia Live. You know, we, we want to welcome you. You know, you're here live on our show today. And tell us about your current work and how this has evolved from a place of the artist way to Julia Live today. Okay, I think we're talking about JuliaCameronLive.com, yes. which is uh, a teaching venue, uh, and it evolved because I 20 years ago when I started teaching The Artist's Way, I taught it in my living room. And then it's 20 years later, and I think, gee, I wish I could teach more intimately. Uh, I, I found that I was... Uh, traveling a lot to teach and uh, teaching, coming in and teaching two and three day seminars that were intensives. And I just thought, I wish there were a more leisurely way for people to get come to know my work in a more intimate fashion. So uh, Emma said, well, we'll make a video. We'll do it in your living room. Uh, Emma has worked with me for 14 years and I tend to trust her. Uh, and so I said, well, all right. Uh, and we we filmed myself teaching the artist's way uh, so that people can go online and, um, you know, they can do a chapter before breakfast if they want. It's So it's an online creativity workshop that is membership-based and gives people the flexibility to watch a video lecture with you. And then it's also social because you have an artist, an active artist community in that social network. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. How important is it to find and to have an Emma in our lives as we, you know, develop our own creativity? Well, I I think... Uh Emma, I should explain, is my collaborator and longtime friend. Uh, And she is what I call a believing mirror, which is someone who sees your potential and mirrors back to you that you're going to be able to do things. Uh, And 
uh, it's very important that people find believing mirrors. Uh, I think often we have uh, a, a an image of the artist as a loner, and that's not really accurate. If you take a look at uh, the Impressionists, for example, what they painted was lunch with each other. How do we attract or identify a believing mirror? Well, I think that uh, they are someone that when we come away from an exchange with them, we feel optimistic uh, and we feel uh, excited. And it can take a little while to get used to having a believing mirror. Uh, I was very lucky. I have a friendship with a woman named Sonia Choquette, uh, who would be an ideal person for you to talk to. Thank you. Uh, Sonia uh, is an author uh, and a very well-known psychic. And uh, I've been friends with her for 25 years. And she will say, I will say, oh, Sonia, I'm so discouraged about trying to sell this novel. And she'll say, I see the book bought. Mm. And so she keeps me on track with resilience. When was the first time you had that experience with a believing mirror? I was in high school. uh, And I had a nun named Sister Mary Julia Clare. And Sister Mary Julia Clare believed that I was a writer and gave me a column on the student newspaper uh, and encouraged me to believe in myself. Uh, And it's 40 years later, and Sister Julia Clare and I are still in touch. Well, that's that's wonderful. And it's wonderful, it seems, because... um, we're not, you know, so often, uh, you know, there are people that are in our the path and a part of our journey that do believe in us, and we may not always recognize them, but they see the potential that we have. So being open to to the possibility that there are believing mirrors surrounding us or somewhere in our environment or placing ourselves in situations that cause us to be more open and receptive um, seems an important part of the the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so JuliaCameronLive.com, that's kind of the next chapter of unblocking creativity. And so uh, some of the things that you're discussing on there begin with, you know, creative recovery. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, I believes that all of us are creative uh, and that with the use of a few simple tools, we can become more creative. And what I teach are are three simple tools uh, that when people engage with them, uh, they find themselves waking up creatively and getting excited. So I know Morning Pages is one of the fundamental um, tools that you encourage along with artist dates. Yes, you, morning pages you... are three pages of longhand morning writing about whatever crosses your mind. 
an artist date is a once a week sort of festive solo expedition to do something that intrigues or interests you. And then the third tool is a tool that when I wrote The Artist's Way, I didn't realize how important it was, Mm -hmm. and that's walking. Mm -hmm. So now when I teach, I encourage people to take two 20-minute walks in a week. That's not very much, you know, for such profound changes. Right. I often say that with morning pages, we're sending... With artist dates, we're receiving, and with walks, we're integrating the two. Mm. How many of these practices do you continue to apply in your own life? Well, I'm I'm a faithful morning pages person, uh, and I have uh, a practice of walking. I live down a dirt road up in a mountain, uh, and it's uh, you can walk out and see blue jays and flickers and all sorts of birds, uh, which is very enjoyable for me. And uh, I live in Santa Fe, which is a hotbed of artist states. You, but you're also you you're back you're you travel and so you're not isolated to just that very serene um, surrounding. You're somehow airy to ca- carry with you a sense of serenity when you enter New York or as you prepare for your upcoming trip to Israel and Japan and that kind of travel schedule. What do you find um, helps you to stay grounded in that same place and to maintain those practices? Well, I think they have to be sort of non-negotiable. You know, that we do do them no matter what. Uh, And particularly uh, when I'm flying, it's important that I get my morning pages done. Why is it particularly important then? Well, because flight is unsettling. That's a um, that's a really nice, calm way to put it. It can be downright scary sometimes. You know, right. when I when I'm in the plane, I'm or or on the ground, I look and go, you know, "That's pretty amazing that so much equipment can just be moving so far from Earth." You know, and the beauty of it is also the wonder of it, but then that can be a place of fear. So my understanding before we came on the air is that you are working on a book, you know, called The World of Prayer and The World of Flight, where you're integrating the two. Can you share some insights with us on that? Well, one of the things that I found uh, was that it helped to do affirmative prayer. Uh, So prayers that declare that we are on the good side of the the fence. We are safe and protected. We are guarded and guided. Uh, And uh, that uh, it helps to to pray your way through a flight. You know, dear God, please guide our pilot. Give him expertise. 
give him skill. Let us fly safely and land safely. Let us have a safe journey. You know what I've experienced um, along with the power of those types of prayers is that at some point prayer requires us to just be still and trust that good is only good is going to happen. So I, you know, was on a flight. It now has been eight years. Um, I used to have, uh, you know, some anxiety too about flight, but I enjoyed adventure in life so much that flight would would have to be a part of it. And I was on a flight once, Julia, that, oh, my gosh, even the flight attendants were, you know, were, when the plane was hitting those pockets, they were so severe, the flight attendants looked very concerned. People were reaching for the phone in the seat back to call home, including me. <laughs> it was like, And then I remembered something biblical, and that was peace be still. And just those three words, over the last eight years, have summarized all of the other prayers into a powerful truth and magnet of peace be still. And to this day, with all the travel I've done um, to other countries and across the United States, when there's been the slightest turbulence, including in my life on the ground, just uttering those words from a place of trust, peace be still, a calmness occurs. And it's not explainable. It's not. I'm not saying it so anybody else can necessarily hear it. It's just doing what you just said um, and taking it right to the essence of trust that only good is going to come, you know, from peace be still. That's a wonderful prayer. Yeah. Talk to us about recovery and a sense of safety. I know you have 12 courses that are a part of JuliaCameronLive.com, and week one begins with recovery and a sense of safety. Well, most of us feel that if we're going to take a creative action, we're going to be at risk. And so uh, what we need to do is say, no, it's safe to take a creative action you are protected, and you will be led. Um, it's important for people to have a sense of calm, and this comes to them through doing morning pages. Yeah. Uh, you know, there there is no wrong way to do morning pages. Uh, they are three pages of stream of consciousness about absolutely anything. And as we begin to trust that we can write about anything, we begin to trust that we can write. So from that shadow of artists and those, you know, working through those core negative beliefs and utilizing affirmations, you then go into week two, which is the recovery of a sense of identity. Um, week two so again can you speak to that well I think that people uh, have misplaced their sense of themselves and as they begin to uh, explore concepts like shadow artists uh, 
Uh, shadow artists are people who are in the slipstream of an artist, uh, but they may not have declared themselves to be an artist. Okay. They might be a photographer's rep instead of a photographer. Um, so as people begin to to sort of dismantle their the version of themselves that they were taught, they begin to find themselves uh, attracted to a version of themselves which is more adventuresome. And that's the sense of identity. Uh, and it sounds like you had uh, plenty of experience with my work uh, and uh, lots of experience with feeling uh, enlivened by it, which would be what I would hope. That's exactly what's happened. And it, it has shaped my thought processes and my perspective. And when I find that things are kind of I'm losing a sense of myself or there's some something that's out of balance, then one of the very basic things that I go back to is making sure that I start the morning with reading my Bible and those words and morning pages. And it's unedited. You know, it's just as you instructed, just let the connect the pen with the paper and just let it come and it's very surprising how much cleansing happens, and then as a result, how much anointing occurs and affects the rest of the day and the years in such, you know, affirming ways. There is this ability to recover a sense of power, you know, from all of this. And for some, you know, who aren't experienced with the, don't have these types of experiences, you know, it, it might look like crazy faith. You know, when you're stepping out and creating um, whatever it is that's being created, for me, it's come. The creativity has often come in the form of business ventures, um, but they're also expressed in my journals and my morning pages and just my way of thinking. So, you know, that recovery and this, you know, the recovery stage and a sense of integrity, and you know, has also included another exercise, and that's writing prayers and being on a complete media depri- you know, media deprivation diet, um, which we implemented into our children's lives at a very early age. Talk, you know, can you share with, you know, the audience about media deprivation? Yes. Uh, all right. I think that most of us are addicted to a certain amount of reading, uh, a certain number of words. It's sort of like... Uh, media chat and when uh, we're trying to get people in touch with their own self what we do is we say for a week do media deprivation don't read don't watch TV don't listen to talk radio Uh, we want you to, to just listen to your own thoughts and let your own sense of rightness move to the fore. And people are outraged at the idea of giving up their media. It's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's they, amazing. They just get so angry with me when I'm teaching. Uh, and uh, yet it's one of the most powerful tools. And once uh, they've done it, 
people say, oh, I think I'll try it again every so often uh, because it just truly puts them in touch with their own spirit. You're right. What I have found, Julia, is that having creating a healthy lifestyle is more important than the occasional diet. And if it works for me for a week, then how much more nourishment can and better health can I experience in the long term if it's a part of my lifestyle? And I find that much of the work that you do is really um, lifestyle adjustments that enhance the quality of our lives. So for in our family, uh, you know, our children did not have, we had a small, a, a small black and white TV intentionally until they were age 13 because we wanted them to appreciate books and their own creative ability to design a world using their imagination and all the beauty that was around them. And it's worked. They're now 30 years old and older and, um, we don't have whatever is important in the news. We find that people are talking about it. We're aware of it. We, can, you know, it comes at us regardless. So we don't have to have a diet of negativity in order to have a lifestyle of healthy, good living. Right. I have a daughter who's 35, and she does morning pages, and she's been doing them since she was 17. Yeah. And uh, so. She just has had her first baby. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's fun, yeah. isn't it? Yes. It's a, uh, my grandchild is a daughter named Serafina. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Congratulations. We're in the, we just had our first also, and it's just such a gift, you know, such a gift of life, you know, new life and an honor. You know, that is that a part of the creative parenting project that you're working on? Um, you know, you mentioned early off-air about the artist's way, a spiritual approach to raising creative children. Yes. Uh, I think that when Dominica got married and then got pregnant, it made me want to pass on to her all of the lessons that I had learned about parenting. And so uh, this book is really dedicated to little Serafina, that's wonderful. And that perpetuates the legacy of in so many ways and takes it into, you know, a realm where those that wisdom and those experiences can be shared with others, which you've been doing all these years, is promoting that same message. Tell us about some of the other projects you have coming up. I know you're you're working on the, your book about the fear of flying and, you know, the world of prayer creative parenting. You also have a play and you're studying the piano. Talk to us about the other parts of Julia Cameron that take you out of the the mystical realm for many of us and put you right there next to us um, as a co-creator of life. Well, I have a play going up in New York called Love in the DMZ. It's a love story between a man who is in Vietnam and his wife, whom he has left behind in Kansas. Uh, And um, I'm very excited that this play is going up in New York. 
it went up in Los Angeles a couple of years ago and won several prizes. Congratulations. And thank you. So I'm excited about that. And I'm studying piano, which I'm excited about. Uh, I'm a bare beginner, uh, but I practice a half an hour a day, and I seem to be making progress. So <clears throat> that's a good thing. Um, how, how? Give us an example, Julia, of how an idea goes from that seed of an idea to reality. You've accomplished so much um, in your young life, and you know, most many people would take just one book project and feel like that was a lifelong you know, goal. You've done, you created more than 30 books and you're still creating, you know, what, what, how, what are some of the things that happen to you that take it from an idea, the moment that idea is, you know, connects with you to reality? Well, this is where we, I think that the morning pages are so useful uh, because the morning pages might say, wouldn't it be fun to write a musical about Merlin? Ooh. And you would, you read that and you think, yes, it would be fun if I were the least bit musical. <laughs> and uh, I then went ahead and wrote a musical about Merlin. So I, an idea will come to me um, sort of in a flash and I write that that little flash down, uh, and then when I um, have finished with the current project, the the flash seems to move forward. So the flash moves forward, and then you could have multiple flashes occurring at the same time. Yes, you could, and sometimes I work on multiple projects. Do you find that it requires tremendous sacrifice, or that it's not it's not a sacrifice at all, nor is it burdensome? I don't think of it as a sacrifice. Um, I think it's exciting. I think life is interesting. Uh, and I think uh, that we can avail ourselves of our interests. Uh, Henry Miller is wonderful. He said, develop an interest in life. Is there anything in your life that you would go back and do differently or advise a listener, you know, you could share with them a lesson learned from your own experience, what would it be? Something that I would do differently? Yes. Is there anything? Well, I I had a musical go up that Emma and I wrote, uh, and it went up in Chicago two years ago, and it wasn't a very good production. And... Uh, I didn't care for the casting, uh, and I got very discouraged and stopped working on the show. Uh, and 
uh, Emma was just out here in Santa Fe last week, and I said to her, do you think we can go back and resuscitate our musicals uh, and see where we're ready to go with them now? So uh, I wish I hadn't uh, given up on them for a couple years. You would have stayed with it and just worked through it? Yes. How do you know, though, when to let it rest or marinate and when to keep kneading it like bread dough? I think you just guess. <laughs> you just, just old-fashioned, just take a shot at it. You just go with what seems right at the time. Julia? Thank you so much for being here today on Sylvia Global. We'd love so much to have our audience connect with you, and they can do so by going to JuliaCameronLive.com and join her Julia Cameron Live um, series. It's a, an incredible opportunity to experience the power of the work that she's doing, which is why we were all created, and that was to be creators of life and to create and design the life that brings us the most joy. I hope you'll come back again, Julia. Well, thank you. And much success to you on your projects. You're, you're up, you have a play that's coming up in New York, um, your book, um, The Prayers, and uh, maybe we'll run into each other um, playing piano or on a flight. And we'll just hold hands and say, Whoo, let the ride begin. Yes. Thank you so much. We appreciate you being here. And thanks, thank Emma uh, for helping coordinate this for us. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.